Amen. I want to ask you to take your Bibles now and join me in turning to the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1. And I'm going to be reading today from Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Ruth 1, verses 1 through 6. Let us hear God's word together. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Melon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. This ends the reading of God's word this morning. May he write its truths on our hearts forever. Let's pray. As we come together now, Father, to hear from you, we pray that you would speak. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the word of God incarnate, our Lord Jesus Christ, and how we long to see him today. And we pray that the Spirit might come now and open our eyes so that we could do that very thing. Lord, strengthen your church today. We pray for a great and mighty work here through the gospel. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christian life is not always a life of ease and comfort. In fact, a more accurate description would be to say that it is anything but a life of ease and comfort. There are struggles, there are battles, because when it comes to Christ, uh, what happens is we leave this world, when we enter a, a new kingdom, but when we do that, those struggles don't just magically disappear, do they? No, they, they really just begin, and they come with great intensity sometimes. And we find ourselves fighting, attempting through only the power of God to war against the enemy of the people of God who is using any means possible to, to wear us down, to, to bring us down through, through temptation and, and sin. And his desire is to cause us to stray off the path and if possible to get us to completely abandon the Lord altogether. And over the years in my journey, I've seen, some, I've seen some troubling things. I've seen people who have made professions of faith in Christ, who have abandoned the fight. And it's very painful. 
people, some after just a few months, some after many years, who seem to exhibit a, a true, sincere faith, uh, slip little by little by little. And it's never just falling off a cliff suddenly, rapidly. It, it, it's just a little bit here and a little bit there. It, it's a slippery slope, it seems. Everything that God has promised his people will come at the end. Our best life is not now, is it? Now, to be sure, we, we see glimpses of things. We, we have uh, blessings that, that come to us, as the, the hymn writer said, uh, a foretaste of the glory. But we're living now in what Paul calls in Galatians 1.4, this present evil age. And I think sometimes Christians allow themselves to become uh, distracted and swayed by the things of the world. And we forget the promises of God. And we just wander off. Maybe just a little bit here. And maybe we come back, but then maybe we next time go a little farther. And, and, and sometimes it just seems that if we aren't careful, we'll wander off and just stay there. Like it. <laughs> maybe we find ourselves from time to time sojourning in Moab. I, I touched on this last week, but I... I went back and spent some time reading and studying and thinking and meditating and thought I would come back to, to look at this a little more in depth. I think that there's a problem here mentioned at the beginning of this book that we don't need to ignore or pass over too quickly and, and treat too lightly. I, I have some questions about this family. How did they end up in Moab? Well, well, we know, right? We, we know there's a famine, but, but why Moab? And what's it going to take to get them out? Maybe you're in a, a similar situation. Maybe you find yourself struggling. And so I have some questions here for us today. Have we strayed from the Lord? Have we wandered off into the world? Are you sojourning in Moab? Well, let's consider this today. Uh, to help us, I, I want to present to you three ideas. We're going to begin with uh, the history of Moab. If we're going to understand uh, the reference here in chapter 1 to Moab, I think we have to know a little bit about the history and I want us to get the full sense of it here. Uh, if we look back at Israel's history, we'll see that uh, they crossed paths with Moab on more than one occasion. Uh, and, and so, as I said, I don't want to go over this too quickly because this is a problem. This is not just some random, okay, well, uh, you read the story and you get through it too quickly and you just go right over it okay this guy uh, Elimelech took his family and went to Moab and, and then boom the next thing you know we're we've got the dialogue with with Naomi and, and Ruth and that's that's great but 
We have to we have to consider this. I think it is significant that the location of the sojourn is mentioned. I mean, we didn't have to be told that, did we? We could have just been told that this man Elimelech, because of a famine, went to sojourn in another country, like like the prodigal son. We don't know where he went. He just went to a distant country, right? Well, the, the writer here tells us not only that they left Bethlehem, but that they went and sojourned in Moab. Is there something to this? I think there is. Uh, first, uh, let's consider the origin of Moab in his excellent commentary on the book of Ruth. Dr. Daniel Block uh, points out several reasons why Elimelech and his family uh, would have had disdain and should have avoided Moab, and the first reason that he gives is what he calls their contemptible origins. Contemptible origins. That's, a, that's kind of a big word. I had to look that up. It's just a big, long way of saying bad, okay? <laughs> if you don't recall, uh, this nation Moab had its origins uh, in a, just a very terrible way. You go back to Genesis 19, and, and there we read of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. God, in his mercy, rescued Abraham's nephew Lot and his, his wife and daughters. And, and you know the story. On the way out, Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. The angel had, had ordered them, don't look back, and she did. And so now, running off into the hills, we have Lot and his two adult daughters... And there are no descendants. And so, well, well the, the daughters decided to take matters into their own hand, and they got their father, Lot, drunk and took advantage of his drunkenness such that Lot uh, became the father uh, through his daughters of two sons, one named Moab and one named Ammon. Now, what we must see when we consider Moab's origins uh, even though he, he became a big nation, was that uh, there's, I think, a contrast going on here. You have Abraham and Lot, and you have a promise made to Abraham. And the man who, we will admit, tried to take things into his own hands, didn't he? And, and, and start this great nation that God had promised him, but it didn't work out too good. God said, no, 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 it's through Sarah, and God kept this promise. And the contrast is with Lot, who I believe God blessed Lot. Because of his association with Abraham, uh, Moab and Ammon became great nations. But this is, this is man-made ideas and, and man-made planning. It's these, these daughters saying, well, we know what to do. We can, we can make this happen. Of course, we recognize that in this promise to Abraham, this is fulfilled as the New Testament tells us in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the great seed promised to Abraham and the great nation is all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and come to him in faith. Moab just becomes another Gentile nation that begins through the origins, its origin begins with the efforts of man. And so we have a contrast here in these origins. And second, as we consider the history of Moab, we must account for opposition from Moab. 
Now, the opposition that I'm referring to is the story of Balaam. Now, we read a portion of this earlier, but most of you will probably associate this story with the talking donkey. It is probably the funniest story in the Bible, I will admit. But probably more important than the story of the talking donkey is what happens after that when Balaam actually gets to Moab. If you don't remember the story, the king of Moab has summoned Balaam, who is a, a diviner, to come and curse these people. Now Israel has come up out of Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land and they have uh, destroyed two nations previously. And Moab knows they're coming and they're going to do that same thing to us if, if we don't curse them. If, if I don't have a curse put on them. And so he's, he sends his messengers to Balaam and says, look, I'll give you great honor, great wealth, but I need you to come and, and curse these people. And you, you remember, Balaam said, okay, I'll, I'll, but I can only say what God tells me to say. And so he builds an altar and goes over and God says, this is what you say. And Balaam pronounces a blessing. And, and, and the king of Moab, Balak, says, no, 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 stop. No. I said, curse, not bless. Okay, well, I'll go back and listen again. Maybe I, I misunderstood. So he goes back. And this happens four times. Every time Balaam comes back and speaks, he speaks blessing. And we remember that last oracle, don't we, where he predicts the coming of a star out of Jacob, a, a scepter, one who will be mighty and powerful. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of, of Sheth. Isn't it interesting how in his mercy, God reveals the Messiah to Moab? We'll get back to that here in just a minute. So we have opposition from Moab, and then finally we have the omitting of Moab. The omitting of Moab. I'm really doing real good with these alliterations. I'm, I'm uh, pulling out my inner Adrian Rogers today. Uh, you have to admit, this is quite impressive. Um, Moab being omitted, what do I mean? Uh, Moabites were not allowed uh, to come into the worship assembly. This is from Deuteronomy 23. Now, this is after the events of Numbers where Israel tries to go through Moab. And remember, uh, the king of Moab wants to curse them. And, and so God says, because they treated you this way, this is what's going to happen. This is Deuteronomy 23, 3 through 6. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Because... They did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Baor from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek, listen to this, you shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. A very clear and definitive word about how things are to go in the future with Israel and Moab. 
they cannot come into the worship assembly. Some Gentiles would, would be allowed, not the Moabites. And you do not seek peace and prosperity with them. Now, do you see why Elimelech has a problem? It's not just some random, oh, okay, well, he's going to Moab. Well, who cares? No big deal. It's a deal. It's an issue. <laughs> and, of course, the issue is, it's, it's, it's what it almost always is for us, isn't it? Not listening to God's word carefully and obeying him and trusting him. It always, always comes back to that, doesn't it? <laughs> Well, that's the history. But second, I want us to, to consider the hazard of Moab. I used to work in freight transport for many, many years, and we had a, certain types of goods that we called hazardous material, dangerous goods. This stuff was flammable or, or combustible or, or whatever, and you had to handle it with great care. And so it was dangerous and what Elimelech misses here is that he is involving himself in a potentially dangerous situation. And that's what sojourning in Moab is. It represents a hazard. Uh, this was not a neutral decision on his part. This was disobedience. This was dangerous. We may read this and think, okay, well, there's a famine. This man's hungry. He's going to do what he's got to do to feed his family. Well, I think he had other options. It's interesting. I'm not saying that no one else left because of the famine, but we're not mentioned that anyone else. We're not told that Elimelech was part of this migration to Moab. So let's don't oversimplify this. Let's recognize it for what it is. I think Elimelech should have reconsidered his decision and maybe done some, some things differently. And I'll begin with this first. What should he have done? Well, how about repentance? If you remember the situation in Judges, the time period in which Ruth is set, uh, according to verse 1, uh, we looked last week about something that happens in Judges, this recurring phrase. You remember what it was? There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is exactly what Elimelech is doing. Not looking to the Lord. <laughs> if he had trusted God's word, he would have known. I can't look to Moab for peace and prosperity. They were in the land that God had promised them. And faithfulness to the covenant would ensure their safety and provision from God. But during this time of the judges, it's a period of idolatry, They're going after other gods, They're living in disobedience, They're forsaking the Lord's law. And the Lord, rather than abandoning them in such times, actually told them what to do if they got themselves in this situation. And what were they supposed to do? This is from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verses 1 through 3. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse. Uh, incidentally, this is previously mentioned in the, in the other uh, previous chapter. The Lord tells them, okay, this is what's going to happen if you're disobedient. Part of which will be famine. 
when these things come upon you, when and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and all your children, obey his voice in all that I command you with all your heart and soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. This famine was God's judgment for disobedience for idolatry, for, for covenant breaking. And what's the right response when you find yourselves there? Repentance. Return to the Lord. That, that is a word there that's often translated repent. Turn back. Don't, don't stay there. Don't keep going the same way. Turn around and come back. Come to the Lord. And what? He's waiting. He's gracious. He's welcoming he is a God of great patience and mercy and steadfast love. And so we must recognize here the need for, for repentance. Uh, and second, when we consider the hazard of, of Moab, along with repentance, we must see vigilance. Vigilance. Now, where do I get vigilance? Well, I hope that we recognize as Christians that we must exercise vigilance. Uh, there's danger all around, isn't there? You see, the Israelites had entered into a, a time of peace with Moab. Uh, I think it was Brother Shane that had asked me last week in our Zoom call about the, the, the time period uh, specifically. And so I looked, looked into that this week to find out, okay, when exactly did Ruth take place? We know it's the period of the judges, but do we, do we know more? And through uh, a lot of uncovering of the history, what I discovered was that, that Ruth, the, the setting of this book, is probably during the time uh, of uh, Ehud and Jephthah, who are two judges mentioned earlier in this book. Judges 3 tells us that Ehud killed Eglon, Moab's king at the time. And it says this in, in Judges 3.30, So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, <clears throat> and the land had rest for 80 years. Now, previously, Moab had been the oppressor. They had been the enemy. But God raises up this, this judge, Ehud, and he goes in and he kills the king, and then there's peace. Well, you might think, well, that's good, isn't it? <laughs> Actually, I think persecution is a good thing for Christians. It keeps us vigilant. It keeps us on our toes because, see, when everything's good, and I think this is a lot of what's kind of being sorted out with the church in America right now, when everything's peaceful and, and we're not really at odds as a church with the world, we let our guard down and we just find ourselves slipping if we're not careful and what does the world say we show up you're a christian oh well, well i like christians that's cool oh really yeah okay well hey all right <laughs> they like me we're at peace this is where elimelech was we can go to moab yeah we we we've kind of beaten them back a little bit they're they're our friends right now they they wouldn't have a problem with us And if you're not careful, believers and churches begin to embrace the things of the world like critical race theory. 
worldly philosophies and import them into the church and preach them mixed in with the gospel. That's just one example of many things. And this has been happening since the church started. This is not a new thing. We have to recognize before we wander off and sojourn in Moab that it's not a good thing if the world accepts us. Anybody out there who accepts you shouldn't be in the world anymore, right? Because they're coming to join you on the journey of faith. <laughs> we have to be careful. We have to exercise caution. We have to be vigilant and recognize the hazards. Does the world hate you? That's not a bad thing, is it? Jesus speaking in John 15, 18, and 19 said, If the world hates you, know that the world has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That should be the default position of Christians. We don't need acceptance from the world. We shouldn't want it. James 4, 4. This one, just brace yourself, okay? This is a little tough. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I don't think a scripture just kind of lightly addresses this issue, does it? It's pretty clear. <laughs> Now, we are witnesses in the world. The Lord has not called His church to be reclusive and withdrawn and never engaged. We have to do this, don't we? We have to go to work. We have to go to school. We have to carry on various things in the world. We don't have to embrace it. We don't need them to like us. If you're following the Lord closely, they're not going to. <laughs> well, there are dangers out there. And in the story of Elimelech and his family, we see how this danger is manifested. And the result of the sojourning in Moab was what? Death. We read in verse 3 that Elimelech died, and we read in verse 5 that his two sons, Milan and Kilion, died. They had hoped that their sojourning would lead to sustenance and life and blessing, and instead, they received death. What we find when we look at the story closely is that uh, it, it, it seems to suggest they had no intention of returning. Did you see that? In verse 2, it says, They went into the country of Moab and remained there. And then ten years pass. And this is what happens to us, isn't it? Uh, uh, time just slowly gets away from us, and we go on these little sojourns into the world, and we don't realize that, you know what? I'm, 
I'm pretty comfortable over here. <laughs> this isn't bad. I, I mean, this is better. Uh, you know, that, that Christian thing was a little bit tough. I, I'm still, I mean, I would still say I'm a Christian if I was around the right people. <laughs> I think this is something that all of us are guilty of. I'm not talking about somebody necessarily that goes off for years. Uh, we wonder daily, don't we? Hymn writer said it right. We're prone to wonder. So I want to challenge you to just take an assessment of things where wherever you may be because let me tell you if you're on that slippery slope it does not end well people wander away they look for the comforts of this world and, and those things can can draw us away paul tells timothy in 1 timothy 6:10 for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pangs. We do it to ourselves. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And this is what has happened to Elimelech and his two sons. And hopefully we can see this as a warning from the Lord and, and heed this warning. Amen? Well, let's bring things to a, a close with one final consideration. We always must recognize that as long as we have breath, we have hope. So I want us to consider for a moment hope and Moab. There's a glimmer of, of this hope in verse 6 where we find that Naomi has heard good news and hope is always found in the good news, isn't it? It says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, return, just like the Lord had said in Deuteronomy, right? When you go away, return, I'll be here. <laughs> return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Uh, we see there that this involves repentance, the return from the country of Moab. If you've wandered away, I hope you'll consider your situation and recognize it. <laughs> you think back to the story of the prodigal son. You remember he, he wandered away into a foreign land and then, then it hit him one day. If I were just a servant to my father, I'd be better off than I am now. Sometimes it just, it just has to hit us. <laughs> what a, a wonderful picture of hope that we have here in Ruth from curse to blessing, isn't it? I, I mean, as bad as things are, there is a glimmer of hope here. Naomi survives. And she finally gets it. I've got to go back. I've got to go home. Now, of course, 
here in just a few minutes, I can't uncover everything that's going to happen in this book, but I do want to just jump forward to chapter 4 to just kind of see a little tidbit of, of the revelation of this hope. In chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, it says, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you, who? The Redeemer. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the hope of the good news that Naomi heard in the fields of Moab, of all places. Isn't the Lord gracious to send the good news out into the world? I wonder who she heard that from. I just have to wonder. I want us to see the hope of the gospel not only for those of us who may have wandered away and, and, and sojourned in Moab, but I want us to see hope even for Moab. Yes, Moab. In Jeremiah chapter 48, the prophet there records a judgment against Moab as he does in that section of Jeremiah against many of the surrounding nations. Here are some of the words of that prophecy. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall send to him, Moab, pourers who will pour him and empty his vessels and break his jars in pieces. The, the calamity of Moab is near at hand and his affliction hastens swiftly. Moab is put to shame for it is broken. Wail and cry, tell it beside the Arnon that Moab is laid waste. Brothers and sisters, do you see why we cannot sojourn in Moab? Judgment is coming. Destruction is coming. Moab is a Gentile nation in rebellion against God and they will face the wrath of God. But this prophecy in Jeremiah 48 ends with a glimmer of hope. It concludes this way, Yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the latter days, declares the Lord. Remember what Balaam told Balak in that prophecy. Come and let me show you what the Lord will do in the latter days. And he predicts this star coming out of Jacob. So yes, there's a message of judgment, but there's a message of hope. In Christ, there always is. I, I want to conclude this morning with this final word. It's a word of irony to encourage you regarding the life of faith. And what I am referring to here is I ironically am warning you of the dangers of sojourning in Moab. I am reminding you that we are all sojourners. This is not home, right? 1 Peter 2.11 Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Peter recognizes that that, that, that battle is real. You're in a fight in this sojourning that we're doing here in the world. Listen to the encouraging words from Hebrews chapter 11, 
verses 13 through 15. This was the mindset of those sojourners in the Old Testament. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Think about that, brothers and sisters. God is not ashamed to be called your God. He's prepared a a city for us. It's not here. So on one hand, we have to be careful about this potential that we have to sojourn, but on the other hand, we have to recognize that this is exactly what we're doing. We're exiles. We're, we're pilgrims. And the Lord has called us, if we've gone astray, to come to Him. And put our faith and trust in Christ where there is always hope. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the good news of the gospel. Lord, we're thankful for the warnings that we find in your word. We're thankful for the hope that we have. And this hope is only in our Lord Jesus, our King, our Savior. We look to Him today to save us and to keep us. We pray, Father, that as we desire to draw near to You, that You would draw near to us. That You would watch over Your people. And Lord, that You would protect us and let us not stray. Let us not wander away. Keep us near. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.